Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The pigeon's gone. Oh, no. There was a pigeon right here a moment ago that was having a great time. It was snacking on everything around us here just by Bordeaux train station. He finished the leftovers of my pano chocolat. Yeah, he loved it as well. I accidentally ordered two of. Nice. I thought I'd ordered one, and then I was very confused that I was charged £8.45. Uh, Euros 45 I'd right. be very confused just charging pounds. Yeah, um, and then it turned out I bought two by accident. Ah. But that shows how well my French is going. But it's all right, <laughs> I served the pigeon as well. Yeah. So we're currently just outside the Bordeaux train station. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of Irish fans with suitcases leaving, yeah. uh, just like there will be on the quarterfinal weekend. And there are a lot of Welsh fans with suitcases arriving, just like there'll be on the semi-final weekend. Um, that is some hashtag banter and not a prediction. No, I want to make it because clear. we do have to play Fiji first. But... Yeah, which is just a thing of abject terror, I think, yep. at the minute as a Welsh fan. We're recording this on the Sunday morning before that game takes place yeah uh, we did record one of these right after the opening game on Friday night at the Stade de France whilst the music was playing in the background and fans were leaving and it was incredibly loud and you couldn't make out a word we said six months preparing yeah so yeah. It was really unfortunate because we provided a lot of really good takes. It was the best insight anyone provided on that game, I think. It really was, it really was. And Jerome Kano and Stephen Donald walked past yeah. us while we were recording. And two drunk French guys came and just joined in with us. Yeah, and said, Pay de Gal is good. Yeah. And, and I said, we, jo- we see them in the final. And they were like, No, the final's impossible. Final's Fiji v Georgia. Yeah, which was good. Yeah. Which was good. That's they didn't a cool like game, mate. The suggestion of Chile making the final. No. But, they were a bit confused. They thought I was being serious, I think. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's just different cultures of, yeah. uh, of sarcasm, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I'll uh, so very quickly talk about that game, because I think the video is already underway. I'm mostly through writing it. Yeah. It's going all right. France, very, very good. Yes. New Zealand, all right, but flawed as heck. Yeah, definitely. I think New Zealand will get better. Um, but I also think we saw a higher percentage of what New Zealand can do than what we saw of what France can do. Yes. France still have Jonathan Dante to come back in. They still have Union... No, um... Cyril Bai. Bai to come back in. They still have... Paul Vlemser to come back in. Potentially. potentially. Maybe Vlemser. Um, and they have also a chance to get over the nerves. Mm. Because you saw that opening play. Moafana makes a very panicked read. Yeah. Leads to that opening try for Mark Talea. And a lot of that, like, you can pull analysis and you can... And the move's really smart by the All Blacks and... That's what I focus on the video. But like ultimately, I think a lot of that comes down to Morfano as a young kid being nervous. Sure, sure. Um, but I don't think he's going to do that twice. No, I think exactly. You know, they've got that out of their system. And granted, they scored two tries. But that, that, in the first half, uh, let's say, that was the only time France defensively looked like weak, like they were yeah. going to concede a try. And obviously, they conceded another one early in the second half. But um, you say New Zealand are going to get better. France are definitely going to get better. Yeah. That first half of France was, we said this on Friday, but probably the weakest half of rugby they've played in about two years. Yeah. Uh, and they went in one point up they against still the Ohio. Yeah. yeah. Like, and then went on to win. And the what, big point we kept making 
was that New Zealand had enough chances mm. to score four tries, five yeah. tries, and they scored two. Yeah. And that is unlike New Zealand teams have passed. But also, it shows what a fearsome prospect France are yeah. if they're able to deny them and push them back to that. Yeah. And we were saying to each other after the game that we thought if France were going to win, it would be like 2021, where yeah. they ripped them apart and uh, obviously there's no one to max, so that does change things. But instead of it being either that or like a last-minute penalty to win it, it was just a gradual demolition of the all So players. grinding down of them yeah, until they weren't so anything anymore. Yeah, when have you ever seen that? Yeah. Like South Africa the other week smashed them. That happens occasionally where a team just has like a destiny day. Yeah. You know, Ireland's done it a few times. It's not I think, the All Blacks were rubbish. No, those Ireland tour matches were the only time we've ever really seen it last yeah. year. Yeah. Uh, and then France did it to them this week. And that's very possible. Yeah. And the interesting thing for this, right, is you look at the All Blacks draw and I think the All Blacks, like 2019, the All Blacks were not the best team in that competition. No. But they had in them, and you knew this the entire time, at least one game where they could beat literally anyone in the yeah. world by 30 points. Yeah. And they pulled that against Ireland, and that Ireland team was really good, really strong, had beaten them the year beforehand, you know, and has beaten them a number of times since. But on that day, the All Blacks were 30 points better than them. You know, yeah. they, they, did they hit 50? or 40 think at least. 42, yeah. I want to say. But it was just comprehensive and embarrassing for Ireland. Yeah. And I think the All Blacks have it in them to do that to literally any team in this competition. Mm. I also think, looking at this, either they will click completely over the course of this pool stage and things will flood from there, or they'll pull that performance once, and that could just be... <laughs> Is this Fijians in town, maybe? Chanting Wales. Oh, Wales. I was at Wales. Yeah. I just, I just heard loud singing and just thought <laughs> it, was, it was too tuneful to be Welsh. But yeah, or I think New Zealand will potentially pull one game where they destroy South Africa, Ireland, Scotland in the quarterfinal. Sure, sure. Uh, I think that's very possible. As you say, they, they have that in them. Whether that will happen or not yeah. is a completely different thing because uh, you would have thought that they could have done that on Friday. And but yet, like, that's it. You look to New Zealand, you're like, that is not a World Cup winning team. No. That is a team who are so easily able to be taken apart, just pulled yeah. like bit from bit. There was a point in that game where you turned to me and said, we are living in the last minute of New Zealand having not lost a pool game. Yeah. Uh, at the 79th minute of that game, which is mad that that's not happened. It's just one of the great things about the World Cup. Yeah. It's just like when new shit happens, when history is made. Um, yeah. And I love that. It was amazing. It was an amazing thing to be there for. Uh, the opening ceremony as well was a hell of a thing. Yeah. John Dewey's down flying through the air. I think it's far more spectacular in person than it was on the TV. Sure. Uh, I haven't watched it back yet, though I have downloaded it onto the laptop, so that was sitting there. I could have watched that on the train over. Yeah. I didn't. And also, Bill Beaumont coming out and getting booed, as well as um, Macron, Macron. Which like, was a hell of a moment. Like, yeah. That was a big moment that was of rugby sick, social politics. You could politics. not hear a word Beaumont said. Uh, Macron's a little bit more well-practiced at talking exactly. over people He's doing. a professional politician. He can do that. He knows yeah. what he's doing. Yeah. But... But it was a Beaumont it was very looked funny shaken by when it. yeah when Beaumont tried to stop the crowd from chanting Alele Blue it was like calm down calm down gentlemen and everyone just got louder at that point because we didn't want to hear him talk about rugby yeah. values when he said oh 200 years ago I made my debut for England and started playing this beautiful game of rugby but shut up speaking of Rebellis uh, there's a very interesting piece out there by Tony Collins at the publisher day on yes. the myth of William Rebellis and how actually classes it is and how it was largely 
spread as a means of like belittling people wanting to break off the former of elite. Well, at some point while but, we're out here, we're going to go and visit the Web Ellis yes, grave. And I want to do something on that and on the myth of Web Ellis. Yeah. Because it is a baffling thing. And yet we're all playing for the Web Ellis trophy this year. <laughs> it's, um, hilarious. it's hilarious. So, yeah, I think France, the more and more you looked at that game, the more and more you went, oh, they're winning the World Cup. Yeah. Like it felt like destiny, all yeah. of that. And it's going to take a hell of a team to beat them, but also a team that can really overcome what feels like a nation just giving themselves over to it. Like, we've had, yeah. since we recorded that, the viewing figures in, and mm. more people watched it than any of France's games when they won the Football World Cup Which is two massive. years ago, bar the semi and final. That's mental. So it's already growing to a point at which we could oh, have... You know, we've been in France... You've been in France for a couple yeah. of weeks. I've been here for a few days now, and it's massive. It's yeah. absolutely everywhere. Antoine Dupont's face is everywhere. He is such a star in it and we've you know just arrived in Bordeaux it's not just in Paris first thing we saw when we left Bordeaux train station was Antoine Dupont's face yeah it's mad just the rugby fever and everyone, so many people in French shirts yeah. and it's not just like at the game we couldn't move for them you know? yeah and it's funny it came on pretty much entirely the day of the World Cup starting mm. uh, I was noticing because I was in Japan for 10 days before the competition started as well and that grew slowly over the course of those 10 days that you saw yeah. more and more rugby stuff until the day before it was huge and the day of it was enormous. Yeah. Uh, it happened overnight. It was like everyone had arrived and just wore normal clothes. Yeah. And then they pulled on their French shirts and now the fevers began. And hopefully it keeps up for the entire tournament. And France doing well would really, really help with that. Yeah. Um, it's impossible not to get caught up in the hype for both Antoine no. Dupont and France. I challenge anybody to resist the hype because <laughs> it's so much more fun if you don't. I, yeah, no, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. Yeah. Please give yourself over to the hype at all all times so speaking of hype we should yes. talk about Namibia I was going to say that is my other point of hype Namibia Italy yesterday um, really really good game that was yeah. such a oh, I think there's a real special place in my heart and yours as well for the second game of the World Cup yes because the first one's always a big occasion and so on and the second one's where it feels like it's begun um, and you've got um, certainly this time around the introduction of tier 2 teams yeah. and teams who just never play each other yeah. like France no, Namibia and Italy it's such an unlikely combination they played each other in 2019 and I think since then I think they hadn't played what since 91 yeah because Namibia's third and fourth games ever were against Italy like the fact that you can look at a team sheet and see you know Ange Capozzo against JC Crayley you know yeah. as like as a matchup, and you can talk about that I just love that about the World Cup and Namibia didn't disappoint with only what their ninth game in yeah. four years yeah which is they played a extra friendly against the Blue Bulls right before coming out as well right. so they've got an extra uncapped game under their belt um, sadly without Chad Plato the greatest rugby player in the world Yeah, but it was they were just fantastic they were yeah. great to watch and the scoreline eventually got away from them enormously oh Italy were great um, by the end yeah uh, I thought Paolo Gobisi played really well I yeah. think he called the attack really nicely for Italy even when they weren't scoring tries I think they were playing like we saw them playing the Six Nations yeah. you know that they could play those wide shapes um, yeah, I think that by the time they got going, it was it was kind of inevitable that it was going to happen eventually. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, Namibia managed to delay, delay that for so long. It was fantastic, and credit to firstly their back row. Let's talk about Fianca Nradi, your boy from the New England yes. Jacks. He was one of the players of yesterday for me. I think over the course of what we've seen so far, obviously all the France are fantastic. Aldrit was exceptional. Um, I think there's a few players in that France team you can pull out, right? Other than France. And maybe Bowden Barrett. George Force. No, I was going to say, say oh, like, okay. no, I think the two standout players from what we saw on Saturday were George Ford and Vian Camarade. Yeah, he was 
so so good um, I think Richard Hardwick was brilliant as well because I think that always could have gone one of two ways uh, with him having played for the Wallabies now declared for Namibia um, I think there is a li- always a little bit of an expectation of like oh has this guy fell off but yeah. he's great he can carry so well he was excellent at the breakdown and just clearly just a genuine like experienced leader he's just one of these players and I said this to you yesterday that makes one metre more than you expect him to yeah. on every carry because he's not physically that imposing no um, but he's a really really strong strong player um, but I just talk- thought I just thought Comradi was absolutely yeah. everywhere I thought his impact on every involvement of the game, he's such a kind of like hard-nosed battler grafter. Yeah. You know, like, he is a player who you can tell has come from the shit places all the way. Yeah. And it's just like, no, his determination is just kind of superpower. Yeah. has got him through this. And he just has... He's one of two players, I think, yesterday on Saturday that really put their name up to be in contention to win a big contract in Europe yeah absolutely like I would be amazed if a French or English team doesn't sign Comradi yeah. and I look love him at New England Free Jacks he was forward of the season in MLR and he was such a huge part you know, I think his player of the match in the final no, he was up there with Jason Petros, uh who was obviously a hero yeah um, had a great season with Taranaki in 2017 and really yeah. backed it up with New England Free Jacks um but yeah, Comradi I thought was just like exceptional. Just yeah. like everything you possibly want for a tier two back rower. He like, can play against somebody like Sebastian Negri, who is a better player than him, and sure. match him on the pitch yeah. just because of how hard he works and he's fantastic. Let's quickly also talk about Tian Swanepoel. We have to. We have because to. Because he was the star of the match in many ways. Um, I think so many people who either haven't seen him play before or seen very little of him. Um, I, I can't say I've seen massive amounts of him before this, but uh, like at club level and stuff. I, the... I saw Rian Lowe tweeting saying all of these fake fans yeah. of Fertian <laughs> are coming out. But he was just so good. Like um, It was the best impression of Tynes Kotzer against Fiji in 2011 that you could possibly ask for yeah. without scoring three drop goals. That's it, which George Ford took on later. Like yes. They split the, the Kotzer of it all between them. Uh, no, I thought he was absolutely brilliant. The fact that he can kick goals from Spain is a yeah. huge bonus. Um, like, he can just pop home, you know, and just, like, if, if he picks up an injury, he can just kick them from the hospital bed. You know, like, <laughs> whatever he's doing, wherever he is in the world, he can knock over a drop goal. I love that he went for that 60-metre penalty. I know yes. he obviously sprayed it, but it was just great that he went for it. It was huge, huge fun. Also, one thing the, I found hilarious was every single kickoff he just landed on the five meter line, yeah, like effortlessly because that is the minimum distance he can kick a ball. He cannot like, physically land it on the ten. Like he was sent, but like it's such a smart thing because it is tying it into that tactic we saw a lot on the ninety seven food series podcast. For anyone mm. that has listened back to the old episodes of the Cups, yeah, but teams just constantly kicked it dead because then they would just do a drop out and you get the ball back, yeah. you know, from an advanced position, and so it was all anyone did. And now, actually, Swanepoel sending it between the posts five metres out because he's got a massive boot and he's incredibly deadly accurate with it. Yeah. It was actually a really interesting, really useful tactic. Yeah. I think he was great in terms of what he did with the attack. Yeah. Um, the shape he put on it, the yeah. way he was able to just like... Oh, his ball for Mouton's try is unbelievable. Yes. And Mouton's try in general. One of my favourite tries of that game. Yeah. And I hope we get a chance to go for it in video form. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure that out. Still working all this out. France is definitely happening. The others, we'll see. But the accuracy with which Namibia worked that is sublime. Yeah, like that is I one think, man clearouts over the, the breakdowns and just all fours working into position. So and quickly. it happens while the game's still on. That puts them back within seven. Yeah, it's an absolutely enormous score, but it's well worked. That's not like the other tier two tries we saw yesterday, where you know Georgia getting a drive over, looking at you know Romania getting one against a run of play from yeah. not against a run of play because it's right at the start of the game, but you know like ultimately. 
looks as such a kind of breakaway by with Hinkley Vavasa. However, that Namibia try was just well constructed. They got into 22, they worked the phases, they were doing these one-man clear-outs. Well. Like, it's yeah. totally all planned. They were doing one-man clear-outs, they knew what they were doing in attack, they knew how to stress a defence. Uh, Swanepoel managing it really well, Damien Stevens as well yeah. uh, at nine. And then, yeah, Swanepoel throws a hell of a ball over Mouton, yeah. who finishes brilliantly in the corner. Yeah. Is as I say one of my favourite tries. I think. Um, uh, I mean, obviously, Andrew Pozzo's try is sure, worth talking sure, about. Sure, sure. Where he just the one-two with Monte Ioani. Um, Pozzo very quiet yesterday, but but he does this. Like Pozzo will go missing for games at a time. Yeah. You just kind of won't see him, or he'll have a game where he just kind of drops a high ball or two. Sure. And I think like that's something that gets missed a lot is the downsides that he has sometimes. And also, he was stuck on the wing in a team, you know, yeah. it wasn't necessarily happening. Yeah. Lorenzo Canoni was fantastic. We had two yeah. number eight man of the matches in a row. Absolutely. And I don't have an enormous amount of depth about Italy because they sort of just did the thing they did yeah. against an opposition that's so They didn't show the whole on. hand at no. Italy, I think it's safe to say. But they did was, play expansively, as we saw from the Six Nations. Yeah. Like, it was I identical think, to their warm game against uh, Romania. Yeah, yeah. I think the Dogbridge try at the end kind of summed it all up, yeah. really. Just the way that they managed to stretch the defence in a way that made them look really tired, which they were, yeah. having you know chased Swanepoel's kicks, which are, are like 90 metres, so much harder chasing that than like a chip over the top, you know? Also, like the sun in their eyes constantly as well, yeah. which both Garbisi and Swanepoel yeah. ended up struggling with. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, no, it was a really good game. Um, it was just a proper World Cup game. That. Yeah. I loved it. Me too, me too. I had a great time. So, we should move on. Ireland versus Romania. Yeah. So, I watched the first half of this. I then had to go and get on the train to go and see Australia-Georgia at the Stade de France. And so, I listened to the second half on the radio. So, yeah. my takes on the second half will actually be those of Gareth Lewis and Tommy Bow doing the radio commentary. Okay. Because you kind of can't formulate your own opinion listening to a game yeah, on the radio. Yeah. Especially a game like that. Also, I missed the first five minutes. Yeah. And then the last 20 minutes to go and meet you at Stade de France. But... I turned on the telly and saw Romania were winning. Yeah. And I was gutted that I'd missed well, that was the thing, try. Right? Romania can do nothing but concede in the rest of this tournament, which is mm. kind of what they did in that game. But they had their moment. Yeah. They had the moment where they really contributed and gave this World Cup a moment to not forget. Yeah. They gave this World Cup the moment that'll be on the Moments of Year video at the end as the real standout. Hingley Valvassa's real breakaway for Rapanu to score. He's a baller, man. He's so, so good. Valvassa is one of those players. Valvassa will almost definitely pro they done next season. Yeah, yeah. Is he not already? No, he's in the Romanian league still. Oh, is he? Yeah. Wow. Which is professional. Like, they have, you know, yeah. they have a mostly professional setup. Yeah. Semi pro, but. I, I, I'm hoping, because usually he plays either fullback or outside centre. Yeah. I'm hoping that when it comes to the game against Tonga, he does get moved out and we see him in a little bit more space. Well, this was it. He, was, he played superbly, he had, but he played superbly in a kind of role you don't want your fly half doing, where yeah. he was the real threat with the ball. Because he was hand. like their most running metres, and he was yeah. playing 10. But this is the other thing, right? Like, Romania have changed their halfback combination yeah. for something like 18 games in a row. Uh, yesterday was their ninth halfback combination in eight in ten games. Yeah. Um, which is absurd. Like and even then, those two that did stick together were different games. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, I do hope, yeah, because I, I think Tong is their potentially winnable game in this pool. I think it was pre Andy Robinson. Yeah. Um, if Andy Robinson was it's still their there, most winnable game. Yeah, I think Eugene Apshock, obviously an incredibly successful coach at club level. Uh, Jamie Lyle and Combs brought up the stat, which yeah. I hugely appreciate that he's the most successful coach in the history of club rugby. Um, however, they've just gone down. Like the yeah. thing about that Andy Robinson Romania team is like they were so hard to beat. Yeah, 
like they were just no pushovers. Yeah. They were really fit. They were incredibly physical. Them and and they were very demand, yeah, demanding, and their kicking tactics were very good. Yeah, and they weren't necessarily an expansive team, which is what Abstract's trying to make them more. Yeah, Abstract's clearly focused on them scoring more tries and building an attack a bit. We saw that a bit in the Rugby Championship, mm. but they were suddenly letting in really soft tries, which they yeah. weren't in Robinson. And the thing is, this Tonga team are like they're full of talented players, but they're not necessarily cohesive from everything we've seen so far. No. and there was a chance to upset them. And I think that's gone for a mania in one decision. And we still don't know what the Andy Robinson case was all about. Yeah. We still don't but know what that was. To finish my point, yeah. uh, that is the potentially winnable sorry, game sorry, sorry, of, yes. of, that, of that pool for them. That's the one that they will be targeting. And I would re- I'd like to see them bring in Gabriel Pop at 10 yeah. for that. And yeah. uh, Valvassar a bit wider. Um, because at that point, you can still have the attacking thing. But you've got a bit more of a backup plan, you know? Yeah. You've got two players who can kick the ball rather than just trying to send everything through Valvassar. And I think that now there'll be eyes on him, yeah. Valvassar. And I don't know, I don't know. I feel like you want him in a slightly different way. It's a long time since we had one of these real underdog teams have a breakout back yeah. at a World Cup. Like normally the breakout player is a hooker or a back rower. Yeah. Sometimes a scrum half. Like we saw yeah. a bit of Damien Stevens and Santiago Goraratta. Goraratta, yeah. Maybe a ten at a push, but not really. You know, sure. like, Tynes Kotsa, we loved, but he wasn't a big breakout player. He was in the Namibia fly-off in 2011, I realise we haven't said that. We assume that people the have listened to The fact to lose didn't sign Ramil Geisen is I disgraceful. Know. I know. But he is a real breakout back who will, you imagine, be playing at a higher level. I hope so. He's bloody, bloody deserves it. Uh, we should probably but talk about Ireland. Ireland. Ireland were... The thing is, it doesn't even feel noteworthy to say Ireland are exceptional. Yeah. Because they always are. Like, well, that first Gibson Park try was so easily crafted for them. Yeah. They just hit one good line and they were through. Yeah. And Romani put up a little bit of resistance in the first sort of 15 minutes. Mm. But from there on out, they just started falling off. Yeah. And by the time Sex Wong was just like running in, you know, his first try at the end of the first half and then picking him for second in the second half, which... I assume was great. Obviously, took him to be Ireland's all-time top rugby world cup try scorer. Overtook Ronan Lagara. Tommy Bow was very in on the radio comms about how much that means to Zexton and how competitive it would be, and how much he desperately won't want Ogara to be the top point scorer. I mean, scorer. fair enough. Hey, yeah. opportunity was fucking enormous for yeah. Zexton, and he took it. Yeah, um, he was captain of a fantasy team. He did very well for me. Yeah, tries. all right. So I'm I not going to play. So as captain of mine. Yeah, um, who netted me more points than I realised because say you only touched the ball like four times in the game. But a lot of running meters and a try in that one thing. Yeah. So we'll see. But Peter Romani, exceptional as yeah. always, like Fantastic. everywhere. Scored a try. Um, clearly didn't want to score a try because yeah. that's too flashy for Peter Romani. But like breakdown, just carrying the ball around the park. He's just incredible. Joe McCarthy is really settled in Test Rugby. Yes, he's a serious contender for the Ireland, like starting 23 now. I think he should be. I think yeah. he should be. And obviously it's Romanian, he's played a couple of warm-up games in the lead-in. But yeah, he has come he's through. The real deal, man. It's like, the thing I believe it was Leo Cullen said, that we're not gifted with this, like people built like this very often. Yeah. You know, like he's a very particular bold huge, of second row. isn't he? Yeah, and that Romanian kind of did proper... look remotely threatening yeah. to Ireland, right. thanks to Jeremy McCarthy. Which is their real strength. A little bit, but... And it's the one thing that has continued, is they've yeah. got the best mall in Tier 2 rugby, and it wasn't a threat. They got close a couple of times, but couldn't really take it. Yeah, Jeremy McCarthy, fantastic. Could be, could be finally a player to challenge Adam Beard in the Irish team, <laughs> um, because they haven't got another second row. No, 
Uh, James Ryan's obviously still great. Tyg Burner thought had a good game at six. Yeah. Took his try really well. Yeah. And Bundy Arkey, I think the period... Oh, he was brilliant. He was so good. Yeah. The period of Romanian resistance was very much ended by them having to tackle Bundy Arkey. Yeah. And just going, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Like, we're, we've been tackling the rest of these pricks. I'm not tackling the massive Samoan lad. Yeah. It's, it never does you any harm having a player like him in your midfield, no. does it? Uh, he was fantastic. It's just, he, that man doesn't get any slower. <laughs> no. No. Brick took someone on the outside in the Italy game. I'm uncomfortable with that. Let's not what talk about it. What was that all about? Yeah, I kind of don't have much to say about Ireland. Like, they're very good in a yeah. not particularly exciting way. It's exciting to watch, then it's not, like, exciting to talk about. It's not exciting like, to talk about when it's against Romania. Yeah. And they just... It, yeah. It was... They repetitively, like, bullied them, you but know? the thing is, right, this and is that's how I always thing. felt about the All Blacks. Right? Yeah. It's like, you're like, oh, they scored a brilliant try. Well done. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. You do that every week. Yeah. Where, like, when Scotland score these brilliant tries and tear someone up, you're like, oh, that was fun, I enjoy that. When yeah. Italy do it, it's fun. Ireland were it. brilliant, but as I say, it's not noteworthy. No, they they're brilliant. the number one team in the world. And yeah, they tore apart a team who are on the decline. Yeah, and didn't play that well. No. Beyond the 10th minute. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So, I guess we should move on, if that's all right with you. Yes. To Australaise, the Georgie. Brilliant stuff. So, Australasia played against Georgia. Um, no, Australia against Georgia. We were there. We were there. We went to the we Stade de France. I, now, here's the other thing, right? Didn't have a very good seat for this. You had a slightly better seat. Yeah, so uh, we sat we, separately, weirdly. Yeah, which... we brought the tickets together, but hey, we ended up sat a couple of rows Hopefully back. that doesn't happen much else. Yeah, I hope not. Hope not. I need to check. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so yeah, I was sat, well, we were both sat like behind the posts yeah. on what was I Australia's was sat... trial in the first half, so we didn't see a lot of action. Yeah, I was sat in the corner behind the posts. So I was basically obviously very little. Yeah. Um, but I think you can still get an impression. And there was some stuff I did very much see. Yes. I mean, the people around me were a lot more interested in the Mexican waves than the rugby. That was... Okay, so, look, I've never been a massive fan. I hate Mexican waves. Yeah, they're a bit shit, aren't I they? I missed two of the tries because of Mexican waves going on in front of yeah. me. Yeah. And, like, obviously the action's at the other end. I get it, you know. Yeah. But just, like... If you can't see it, look at the big screen. Yeah. Like, the, it's very easy to see the big screens at Stade de France. Yeah. Wherever you're sat. It's just know, like, man. I don't know, like, for everything we're saying about the France really buying into the World Cup, it felt a bit like they weren't very interested in that game. Like, yeah. that felt a bit like Very judgment. different atmosphere to yeah. Friday night, wasn't it? It was, it was. I went to Judgment Day this year, yeah. and nobody was interested in watching the rugby. It was like a piss up. 
Yeah. Know, and like everyone's going back and forth to the bar constantly. And it was kind of a shit occasion, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, this wasn't that, but it felt a lot like, you know, like there weren't people getting up and down constantly. Mm. But it did feel a little bit like the crowd was more interested in having a few beers a in the sun, yeah. you know, than the rugby. And that's fine. And you that's know, a like, great part of it. The thing is, like, you know, if you're going to buy your ticket, fair enough. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, if you, you know, paid your money, you like, do what you want. Yeah, I just don't like Mexican waves. I've yeah. decided. Yeah, I'm fair just enough. like, if there's a stoppage, fine. If play's going on, stop, quell it. We'll talk about the Wallabies, but first, let's talk about Georgia. What, okay. do, what do we make of Georgia? Georgia were cruelly, cruelly denied by the following game. The award of biggest possible implosion by a team this weekend. <laughs> yeah. Georgia were just constantly shooting themselves in the foot, man. Like, that Georgia team was good enough to have won that game. Mm. And I think the thing is, them winning that game is them fixing, like, three or four persistent errors they're making over and over again. Yeah. And it's like, if this was, if, the, if that game was a World Cup warm-up, You'd be going, oh, brilliant, they know what they've got to fix and they can work on that for next week. Or for, you know, three weeks' time when the World Cup begins. Yeah. That being the first game of the World Cup is concerning because they now play, what, Fiji? No, it's a Portugal up next and Fiji. Or the other way around. I don't know, I don't know. But anyway, and then Billy into Wales last. I think they can have it fixed by Wales in the last game. Yeah. Uh, in a similar way to Italy in last year's Six Nations, that I sure. got feeling. But it just kind of feels like there's lots of tiny little problems with them that they keep making the same errors over and over again. It's really mm. frustrating to watch them. Yeah. Because they're a good enough team to be much better than this. We had a chat half-time in that yeah. game, and we were saying, like, we don't know what Georgia are yeah. at the moment, you know? Like, they've not really felt that in the game. And I said to you, I think Vassal Lobsonese is having quite a good game. And then you kind of went, do you? Because he's put a kick out on the floor, he's given a penalty away. Three penalties. He gave away three penalties in the space of, like, five minutes. And, like... I think you simultaneously agreed and disagreed with me yeah. on that because like he kicked really well he got that well, charge down that won the opening penalty like yeah. he um, joined, up, joined up on a line break and threw like a load of really good passes and yet it's so hard to quantify where Georgia are at at the moment yeah yeah uh, I thought Macca at 10 was very good yeah I thought that was like a really impressive kind of breakthrough performance obviously he's won caps in the past yeah but nothing on this scale and considering the way Abzendadze was their most vital player at the last World Cup and he was a 20-year-old I'd imagine then. he's still going to be second choice to Abzendadze. I agree. But, but it feels like they've got another option now, yeah. which hasn't been the case. For sure, for sure. Um, when you had Kamaladze coming back in, you know, who was obviously, at that point, was like 68. Yeah. It's a great thing for them to have an alternate yeah. who played well. Real great sidestep on him as well, which I didn't, yeah. didn't anticipate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, good in the backfield as well. Yeah. He's very, very handy. Um, I think even Ashvili on the flank, uh, we both looked Yes, this. very impressive. Excellent. Took his try really, really well on the wing. I think he was a stand-up player for Georgia for me. Yeah, I'd probably agree with you on that. But I think there's a few things, like, Niniashvili has a little bit of early Stuart Hogg syndrome, mm. where he's starting to take on a bit too much and be like, I am our good player, I am our class fun sure. player, at the expense of things going well. That Donaldson try from the intercept. Yes. He starts with a brilliant step, and he breaks out his own 22, showing his pace, showing all the things that's taken to the position he's in with Lyon, with, you know, being one of the real star players in world rugby of the kind of under-21-ish generation. And yet, he then throws this ridiculous, stupid offload. To Taniela Tupo as well. Yeah. I was thinking this on Friday night, but this is not the World Cup of the random hanging offload. Please, no. let's not make it as such, you know. But I think because they work for Fiji in the yeah. sevens, yeah. people are like, oh, let's just keep doing them. And they like, look nice. 
I think he's... Dupont does them. Fran- no, but that's it, though, France isn't it? France like, loads. It's, it's France loving them. It's France loving it for the submerger thing, where they just hang it in the air yeah. and just expect them forward to steam onto the ball. Yeah. Or Dupont to take it and then just do, yeah, do the Yeah, or score. just Penno to just appear out of nowhere. Yeah. You know, it sometimes happens. And we've shared our frustrations about Tabit Sadze. Yeah. And just like, he's an exceptionally talented player. But if you think that with Marika Corambete in front of you, who has a head start, you're going to beat him in a chip and chase battle then you've this got is something else coming. Right, Tabins had to make that break at the end of the first half. And I had a moment, like, and there's an interesting excitement that the underdog making a break. Mm. And I had a moment we're going, oh, he's going to chip and chase this and fail badly. Because that's all he does. Yeah. Like, he's a cracking player in the waiting who just keeps making the same handful of decisions. As I was saying about George in general, he's maybe a good microcosm of them. Mm. In that he does the same things over and over again and they never seem to work at test level yeah. he goes with these chip and chases constantly and yeah he might score a few tries against Poland or Spain doing that but against Australia when he's played against Scotland when he's played against Wales it hasn't worked like, consistently yeah, which of Corambete and Noanganita Wasse do you think you're going to beat to that yeah. point mate? and his or timing on the kicks is like it's not like Penno the other week where he times yeah. it perfectly for Noanganita Wasse planting his feet yeah um here he just like gives Corin Betty a chance to turn and beat him to it. Yeah, he's nowhere near. It's just like it's really frustrating to watch because yeah. he's such a good player. If he was a player who'd been taken in as a 21-year-old at a big club, yeah, I think he could have been a really fantastic player. 100%. But I think it's kind of come too late for him. Yeah, and obviously he's George's all-time top try scorer. Like he's you know, oh yeah, he's, he's doing he's doing a lot right. Amount. The frustration I have isn't with him being shit. It's with him it's being sh- like it's with him not being more class. He's a seven out of ten player. He, he should be a nine. Yeah, out of 10. he has the potential to be a nine. Yeah, and he's not. But anyway, and it's just like it's a it's a real frustration player, for me. Should be world him. class. Yeah, but, right. Australia. Australia, Australia, they were so fantastic. My take, yeah. Out of nowhere, Ben Donaldson has become the Wallabies' most important player. Right. And I didn't see that one coming at yeah. all. At the start so, of the day. Goal kicking is one aspect of it, and also just like for a guy who's fullback's not his first position per se. But Sorry, the, I recognise them because they pop up next to Andy Farrell. The Irish analyst team just walked by. Oh, wow. And they all have like IRF youth brand and stash. And there's one of them that's always next to Andy Farrell on all of the clips. So there you go. So. But, yeah, oh, carry yeah, on. Carry on, carry, carry on, carry on. No, we can leave that in. Yeah. Okay, okay. But like, his management at the backfield was just completely flawless. Yeah. Against, like, again, like George's halfbacks weren't kicking badly remotely. He, and he was just so, so solid back there, and his kicking game was fantastic. Slotted in, took a lot of pressure off Carter Gordon, yeah. who had a good game generally. Yes, and he was very good, seen about Carter Gordon is when he's made mistakes, he's tended to double down and make another one shortly afterwards yeah. and kind of lose his head a bit. Yeah. Which is, you know, he's a 20-year-old fly-off who hasn't played much pro rugby. Yeah, he's a young kid. Fine, yeah. But what we really saw yesterday was Donaldson able to come in, take a bit of pressure on him, act as a second first receiver, and also, most importantly, take the goal kicking off him. Yeah. Because Carl Gordon's not an experienced goal kicker. There was, I believe it was the Raw, could have been Green and Gold Rugby, brought up the stat that he's only kicked one penalty goal in his professional career. Which is insane. At Super Rugby level or above. He kicked he's one penalty against the All Blacks. Yeah, and he, he's kicked a handful of conversions at both Super Rugby and international level. He's kicked one penalty for the Wallabies and none at Super Rugby level. Yeah. Which kind of says everything about where he's at. He's it's missed, a red flag. Yeah. The, he's missed more than he's kicked. You would need Nick White in the side to kick the goals. If yeah. you didn't have Ben Donaldson, you know. And even then, he's never been a frontline kicking Nick White. He's no. been a give me a long range effort in the last minute to win it because I'm a shit out. Yeah, if you've got a man in the bin, then he's, yeah. you know, but the thing is, like, but... little piss boy just loves winding people up. He lo- little piss yeah. boy going to piss. And oh, he, yeah, do he that. very much did the same like, yesterday. The thing is, I don't believe Nick White is a goal kicker. I think he just takes it up in order to be annoying yeah. in the last minute. Because like, you want him to miss it. Yeah, if he thinks it will wind up the opposition, he'll suddenly become a world-class goal kicker. Yeah, that's you know, a fair point. If he thought it would be annoying, he could become a scrummager out of nowhere, I reckon. That's He's just like fair. the pissiest little, little piss boy. Yeah, um, but 
Australia, I felt, didn't show any anything that their hand. I think they very little. Basically, one up rugby. Like they, their rugby they played was extremely, you know, straightforward, and they got the job done. It was the and World Cup warm-up game they needed. Yeah, yeah. And they played it in the first game of the World Cup. It came with a bonus point. All of the penalties that came their way just went for goal with for yeah. them. Um, they scored the four tries and then got out of town. Yeah. You know, they did exactly the minimum of what was required of them, and that's clearly what Eddie Jones wanted out of that game. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it was only positive to Australia. Yeah. Um, they learnt to win. Yeah, uh, you know, like this is a young team who hadn't won a game before together. And they've as a broken group. a duck. Yeah, and now they only have bigger and bigger tests. Yeah, um, and you build momentum off games like that. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I point this a lot, but like Wales going on that run that took them to World Cup semi-final and Grand Slam started with them beating a second-choice Argentinian team, yeah. right? And like they beat them, they built momentum, and like just kept building, building, and building because you take confidence and you build from confidence and you learn to win games and that's the most crucial skill in rugby and it's vastly underrated a lot of it is that belief and believing in your kicking game in particular yeah. and in your you know discipline and just being able to you know Australia stick nailed those areas for sure Australia got all the things they needed to prove right yeah. and yes you can go yes it's a you know struggling Georgia team whatever but it's a bloody good Georgia team who beat two tier one nations last year absolutely like absolutely. it's largely the team that won those games and I think it was a critical game for Australia to have won I think that boosted their chances enormously um, and it's made that pool even more interesting yeah. uh, even if from a Georgian perspective it was a bit concerning yeah should we look at the final game of yesterday yeah. then okay Angleterre v Arhatina yes see we uh, yes so this game was I think it was objectively an outstanding game of rugby because it went not in the way anyone expected yeah. it to. It was a complete demolition by the team that everyone thought would get battered, especially three minutes in when they received a red card, um, and then like six minutes in when they Argentina were three 0 up. Buffelli had another shot at goal, and we were like rubbing our hands, going like, "Oh mate, this is going to be a Buffelli masterclass. Argentina are going to batter them. This is the end of the story." Enter George Fort. Enter and George frankly, Ford. exit Buffelli and the rest of the Argentina team. Yeah, we didn't see much of Buffelli. Exit the brains of Argentine rugby. I think we need to talk about England first before we talk about Argentina. In yeah, the context absolutely, of this. absolutely. Um, England were outstanding. I think that they weathered that Argentina storm for the first sort of twenty minutes enough that they kept the score to three points. Yeah. you know, and I think that was the minimum thing that they needed to do. Courtney Laws was outstanding. Yeah, um, you know, making big hits, being a real pain at the breakdown. Yeah, getting crucial turnovers. Proper it like was captain's performance. The Courtney Laws of about three or four years ago, and I think the last few years he's been. It's not that he's playing off reputation or anything. He hasn't become a worse player, but there's a bit of him that looks tired sometimes. Mm. Um, there's a bit of him that hasn't quite been as impactful, and also he's marked heavier. Yeah. Whereas he was just like that tenacious, ferocious, like unstoppable, he was enormous machine. Yeah. That just like whether you're an Argentine player clearing out, whether you're an Argentine player carrying the ball, or whether you're a non-nuclear family that just wants to get on with their lives, you know you're in danger when Courtney Laws is around. Sure, sure. Yeah, he was unbelievable, and that first sort of yeah 20, 25 minutes, that was what they needed. They needed yeah. to just weather Argentina's storm until they had. A slither of a slither of momentum, I should say, and that was all they got. Yeah, and that was all they needed. Well, this was the thing, right? So I think there's a few ways to look at what happened, but the main way is that was an absolute masterclass by George Ford. That yes. was the best performance by any individual player in the tournament so far. Yeah, and it's going to take some going to beat him on stage. 
Yeah. Uh, he single-handedly, with that first drop goal, reinvigorated basically his entire pack. Like, Laws was already playing all right, and then he suddenly went up like six levels. I thought Benno was absolutely fantastic. He was outstanding. Uh, he put in two kicks, which were both bad options, but if you put those aside... Yeah, neither of those were Other great, than that... But, like, carrying the ball at eight... He felt like the and just his impact at the breakdown. Yeah. yeah, breakdown. He was he was everywhere defensively. Like he works so hard. He's unbelievably fast, like getting across the field. Yeah, um, yeah. He was phenomenal. But yeah, the the thing is, a lot of people are weighing up. Did England play really well, or did Argentina play badly? And I think Argentina played badly because England made them play badly. Exactly. Exactly. They rattled them. As soon as that George Ford drop goal went over, we saw nothing of Argentina for the whole rest of the game. And that's, what, 50-odd minutes we're talking there? Yeah. Um, I, think I can't goal, believe yeah. I'm saying this. Julio Montoya lost his head after yeah. that, which, don't get me wrong, he's a fiery character, but usually he just about, he just about bubbles under the line, yeah. you know, rather than crossing it. Like, we didn't see Matera at his best. Gonzalez got subbed off quite early on. There's not, from about the half-hour mark onwards, an Argentine player in the entire 23, I would broadly speaking say played well. No, no. All of them I thought were like, pretty was terrible. Quiet, you know? Yeah, they were quiet or actively bad yeah. across the board. It's really disappointing, but it's not disappointing necessarily in Argentina because, again, England enabled this. Yeah. They were absolutely world class. England have been a shit show all year and they have found a tactic in having George Ford able to drop goals from 50 yards now in having that, it doesn't matter how they're playing. Yeah. As long as they can get into these positions and they know how to engineer it as well and stick to this game plan, they can score enough points. Drop goals are so overpowered and so underused. The thing is, they did exactly the thing that Steve Borkwick's Leicester team were doing, yeah. which is the thing they weren't doing in Six Nations, where they were playing a bit like somewhere in between the Eddie Jones England, which were very attack-oriented, but with a very strong kicking and defence game. Yeah. And or what the England, you know, Eddie Jones England was becoming. And... Borthwick Leicester which was very conservative and they just lent into that like we're going to be incredibly passionate incredibly fiery uh, and it's just going to be like a master class of scrum and maul and just three points all the way yeah. right England didn't look like scoring a trial game no that isn't a problem not a bad people thing. are saying England are shit because of that they're not they're no. really good because the, they found the, a way around that exactly the thing about rugby is there's so many ways to win it and if you're to say oh every team has to be playing running rugby you're fundamentally missing the point of the yeah. game the game doesn't work like that. I'm just going to quickly... And it can't work like that. And if it did work like that, then it would be boring in itself. That's it. I'm going to quickly quote slash shout out to The Loose Head on Twitter, mm. who posted a really good bit of analysis on Friday where he said, the thing that I think is going to make the difference in this Rugby World Cup is the teams who score more points in, than the opposition in yes. the 80 minutes uh, is going to be the one that wins yeah. the game most often. And most I wholeheartedly agree with that. And I think England were solid gold proof of that. In that yeah, they didn't score a try. But they bloody scored points. And the thing is, obviously he was taking the piss when he said that. Yeah. But that is solid gold proof. That is all that matters. Yeah. You do not need to score. If anyone that calls England boring for playing like that, then you're fundamentally missing the point. Because that game, they were outstanding. Yeah. Um, and we both loved that in a really like depressing way. I would have loved it if it was the way around. Yeah. That's it. But like, I loved the style of play. I yeah. hated that it was England doing it and winning. Yeah. But it's just like... It was a trap that England kept setting over and over again yeah. in the way they kicked, the positions they put Argentina into. And Argentina fell hook, line and sinker. Oh my God, Argentina just refusing to kick the ball and just going, oh yeah, yeah, they're, they're putting things in our 22. We're fine with that. We'll just run it back. Let's just stay here. The amount of times they went backwards successive phases and just kept trying to attack 
yeah. when the defense was so on top of them. When you had Earl and Laws in that kind of like fired up, like really aggressive motion, England were down to 14. Yeah. Right? You, you wouldn't, wouldn't be, be able to tell. Yeah. Like, you said this at the time, but like so many of Argentina's problems could be solved if they just had a normal fly half. Yeah. And at Carreras, has there's a wingy, not there's a, had many bad games at 10. He's been kind of getting away with it, but he's not had many bad games at 10 for Argentina. Even if they could bring Nico Sanchez, who's obviously passed his best on, yeah. but as a fly-off, he's played that as his position his entire life. He's not played yeah. anywhere else. He knows it, and he knows how to put shape on the game. He didn't do that, and instead Argentina left in this position where they're just constant bollocks. Yeah. Like, it was just this, like, awful attack of them imploding, and everything became a mistake. Oh, should we just give away a penalty? More and more frustrated. And the thing is, like, rugby is a fundamentally emotional game. Yeah. Right? And, like... Teams can go with all the detail, all the analysis in the world, and I think a lot of analysis always misses this, that actually, if a team loses by 30, it's normally because they emotionally lost it, you know? Um, it's the thing you see a lot with, like, Warren Gatlin teams is a great example, but Steve Walpick's teams are probably the same, where the moment you're behind, the moment you're three scores behind, it becomes so much harder to motivate yourself through those kind of very kick-chase, very, like, aggressive tactics. Yeah. Because you're like, oh, this isn't working, or we're fed up, you know, whatever, and it suddenly changes completely, and suddenly you become really soft and easy to spread down because defence is so emotive in rugby like it has to be because of the way you're defending it's not like a technical thing like in football or basketball or other sports like you are literally flying up and throwing yourself at people in order to try and stop them by any means you have possible to use yeah. uh, besides like biting uh, <laughs> except for Lavanini who was playing but bizarrely wasn't one of the players who got I sent off I think he was the only player who didn't give away more than one penalty he did give nice. away one in the lineup, yeah. but still but yeah, I just thought England were fantastic. I thought the way they limited and broke Argentina down, Argentina began frustrated to start giving more and more penalties. England started taking the free England points England have changed them. that entire pool, yeah. the whole perception of it. They've changed the whole World Cup. Yeah, I think I now think there's a very decent chance England make the final. It's entirely possible. Which would be bullshit. Of course it would. But, but it'd be um, legitimate as well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the thing is, I think there's a very good chance Wales play that way as well. And we end up God, I hope a, so. Yeah, uh, look, there's a chance in which the, the semi-finals... That would be bullshit because they're both rubbish. The thing is, though, right, I think there's a not unrealistic world in which the semi-finals are two teams in two of France, New Zealand, Ireland who are incredibly attacking-oriented yeah. and incredibly dynamic and England and Wales who are so negative and kick everything. That would be hilarious. And it would be very, very fun to see that clash in styles because there's a chance, right? We could end up with an England-Wales final, which would be the worst thing in the world. I don't think that can That's work, actually. That's the most actually. bonkers thing but, you've ever yeah. said. But... Um, but, like, it wins games. You, Argentina are a better team than England, and yet on the night, they were... And obviously they scored that try at the end to deny the, the statistic being lost that I mentioned on Twitter. But the... Every game since 1999 that hasn't had a try scored has finished 15-6 in the Rugby World Cup. Which is in, mental. Yeah, 24 years now. Um, which is a hell of a thing. But I just think, like, I'm getting very carried away there, but it's a style of rugby that wins games. Argentina yeah. are a better team than England, and yet England demolished them to the point that they were, with a few minutes to go, they were 24 points ahead, so which my, is mad. My three points on that game, kicking rugby's great. Yeah. Drop goals are fun. Yeah. George Ford, good. George Ford, extremely, extremely good. Trey Bomb. So, Trey Should we go watch Trey Chile? Bomb. We should do that. We should go watch Chile versus Japan. Thank you very much. We'll hopefully pick up another one of these tomorrow with the games from Sunday, which will probably feature lots of Welsh-flavoured tears. Yes. We'll see you then. C'est bon. 
C'est bon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.